Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Are you going to sign on to this effort to impeach Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein that House Republicans are talking about putting forward this week? No. For what? Impeaching for what? No. Inappropriate. I've had my differences with Rod Rosenstein. Um, I, I talk to him quite often, privately, which again is a lot more constructive than the public hearings we have. Um, he's a Trump appointee. So is Jeff Sessions. So is Chris Ray. If President Trump is dissatisfied with Rod Rosenstein, he can fire him with a tweet. Um, but <laughs> but but to impeach someone, um, I, I, I mean, no, I, I would not be. I'm not convinced there is a movement. I read about it in Politico, and 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 sometimes their right. sources are better than mine. But. But, but I'm not part of that. Very quickly, are you going to investigate who the congressional candidate was who was in contact with the conspirators? This is named uh, in the indictment. I would love to know who that was. So I hope you'll investigate it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to find out who it is. Now, this is an unindicted. I mean, that's important. Uh, whatever this person did didn't rise to the level of criminality. But, but I am incredibly disappointed that any member of Congress would reach out to WikiLeaks or Julian Assange or, Lucifer or Guccifer or Lucifer uh, <laughs> and try to get dirt on, on, on a Democrat. I, that is very disappointing. I don't know who it is, but I'd love it if you or I, one, found out who it was. Wow. Welcome to the show. Stacey Washington. This is Stacey on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Um, yeah, so that was Trey Gowdy, and he was on one of the shows talking about a lot of different things that are going on here specific to this uh, this developing investigation, which I guess now, obviously, it's still an investigation, but the whole tone and tenor has changed because with the indictment of the 12 Russians being referred over to another part of the government, investigative services and agencies, what are we really looking at here? So we're going to talk about that today. We have that and so much more for you today. We're going to talk about President Trump meeting with the leader of Russia, Putin, and uh, how that has enraged the media. And there are some statements made by the president where I was kind of like, bro, what'd you say? And then there's some other ones where I'm like, yeah, that's the way to do it. So a very mixed bag. I don't think the president left anybody walking away feeling completely happy. And those who are enraged are never going to admit that he ever said anything that was decent or good or, or beneficial. Uh, we also have two guests today, Christopher Harris of Unhyphenated America. He's going to join us. And then we have Ginny Beth Martin coming on in hour two. Going to be fantastic to speak with her as well. So Trey Gowdy says he's not interested in impeaching Rosenstein, who is a Trump appointee. So he feels as if, you know, whatever the president's tweets may may reflect, he himself is not willing to take part in that. There's also uh, an interesting dynamic if you look at just the overall discussion of everything since last week. Now, I want to issue a correction, obviously. Friday, I said that it appeared that Lisa Page would probably be found in contempt of court because she hadn't showed up for her hearing. Well, she did have a private hearing, not a hearing to be held publicly in front of the public, in front of the media and cameras, and she did attend that. And so it appears that she will not be brought uh, forward for contempt of Congress charges, and it appears that a lot of the Republicans who were present in that meeting and got to question her were very happy with her answers, apparently, even though she still had an FBI attorney present to represent the interests of the FBI – she was more forthcoming, if you will. It might be the nature of the 
closed proceeding that made her a little more comfortable answering questions. Whatever the case was, they were happier with her testimony than they were with the open testimony of Peter Strzok. Additionally, there is there's been a lot of interviews surrounding that, and it looks as if she will not be interviewed publicly uh, due to the kind of raucous nature of last week's hearing with Peter Strzok. I do feel like, you know, in giving it some thought and listening to some of the testimony of Peter Strzok over the weekend, I listened to a little bit more of it. Even though I was trying to unplug, I ended up getting sucked back in. And I have to say, the thing that would have been most effective for the Republicans on the committee would have been to have maintained a very low affect, a very, very laid back demeanor. And while it's always fantastic to get those sound bites in there, to ask those questions that elicit a response, because it was kind of a kangaroo court atmosphere with the Democrats screaming and lobbing insults and really getting outraged at any little provocation, even non-provocations, the better method would have been to simply open the door for the traps and allow Peter Strzok to waltz in because these things aren't lost on listeners. People who are listening to this on C-SPAN on their, you know, on their cell phones or maybe live streaming it uh, on their, their, their laptops or desktops, whether you're looking at his face or not, you can still catch the different times where he was blatantly, obviously obfuscating. And so the theater wasn't required. I do understand what was being attempted there by, you know, many of them, um, Representative Jordan, Louis Gohmert, others who, you know, Gowdy, they got upset. They were outraged by what they felt was serious dereliction of duty on the part of Peter Strzok and others who participated in these messages and the fact that their bias hadn't been acknowledged by Mueller. But the way to go about it, uh, it, it could have been done in a different way that would have stood the test of time and would have precluded the Democrats from wasting so many minutes on their loud objections. Uh, that being said, I think talking about impeaching Rosenstein is a definite distraction away from heavier issues that have to be faced here. And I also think that I, I just want to call out before we move into this next clip, we're going to listen to uh, Nunez. He's talking about how Mueller knows the Russians also targeted Republicans. And he asks a question, why isn't that in the indictment? And that's what I'm talking about. When, one of the things that's happening with this with this entire investigation is, first of all, a lot of people who are Trump critics are they're they're losing out on new criticisms of the president. They're basically, you know, you get tired of criticizing the same person all the time. Even someone that is actively disliked at some point, his detractors or her detractors will find that they're just repeating the same old things over and over again. At that point, you can choose to, you know, decline to continue to criticize and simply state, you know, for, for the future going on, I, I don't support this person, which Democrats don't support Donald Trump. No shock there. But what's actually happening is never Trumpers um, and, and some of those who call themselves moderates and are respected for their opinions are really coming out with kind of almost basic. They're, they're dumbing down their criticisms to a, a more basic level. Donald Trump doesn't have any principles. Well, clearly he has some principles. Donald Trump doesn't have the sophistication to be able to deal with. He, he lacks preparedness and sophistication to deal with Putin. They met for two hours, which I thought in and of itself, that's a news story in and of itself. Now, obviously, the only people who get to know what they discuss are the translators and the two leaders themselves and possibly Bob Mueller, because apparently their interaction was recorded and Bob Mueller may review that recording. It remains to be seen whether or not they'll admit that he's reviewing it and if he will actually have comments on what he learned from reviewing the audio of their interaction. 
But the point is, they interacted for two hours. That is a significantly longer amount of time than was expected based on the press corps' live reports during the, the interaction. I was watching those in my email this morning, and they were actually unsure. So they asked one of the reporters on the, the Russian side, and the Russian reporter said, yes, they're still together. We are now two hours and 14 minutes. And shortly thereafter, one of those Russian reporters told an American reporter, they're done. They weren't able to get verification from Sarah Huckabee Sanders until almost two hours after that, where she said, yes, they met for over two hours. So the contentious nature of the relationship between American media and and the the, uh, White House press pool and the president means that they're getting information secondhand, even though they're on site. They were at the location in Helsinki, Finland. So a a number of things, moving parts are, are happening here. And if we get stuck in discussions about who needs to be impeached or who needs to be removed, forgetting the fact that President Trump can let go any of these individuals, as Trey Gowdy just said there with a tweet. So, you know, if you know that, then you know that these guys are already they know their their feet are to the fire. They know they are heavily scrutinized and that the president is a wild card and he can let them go at any time. They're governing themselves accordingly. In fact, I think Rod Rosenstein, uh, Director Ray, all of them understand the tenuous nature of the relationship with Donald Trump and that they're actually probably towing the line at the, the most they've ever towed it in their lives. And that's not to impugn their previous performance. I don't actually have a negative view of Ray or Rosenstein, uh, any of them, I, you know, from, based on what? They're, they've only become really national figures since they joined the Trump administration in these in these roles heading up these agencies. So what we don't want to miss in our viewing of all of this, you know, these are a lot of moving parts and a very heavy news week. It, it's important for us to acknowledge that the information in the indictment that was leveled on Friday is information from a year ago, information that Mueller has had for over a year, information that was actually verified by the investigation that was launched by the Republicans and was issued in their report. So this isn't new information about these 12 Russians. Second, these 12 Russians are actually government agents for the Russian government, meaning they're never going to show up in the United States and offer their wrists up to be handcuffed so that they can go and, under, and, and you know, undergo a trial in a U.S. justice system, in our courts, for the charges that have been leveled against them. This is really just kind of the closing of a loop. Yes, they acknowledge that it was done. But I guess the question that I have is the same as what Nunez is about to propose, which is, why not be comprehensive in the indictment and acknowledge that they attempted to influence the election from both sides of the political spectrum? They weren't really in love with Donald Trump so much as they were in love with the idea that the polarization that occurred gave them huge, wide, barn-sized openings that they could ride through and pit Americans against each other. So let's listen to him here. It's uh, Nunez, it's number six. There's more in this report than what's in the indictment, okay? And this is is what's very frustrating. So... So it's great that they indicted Russians. Yes, they did bad things. I mean, they're always up to bad things. Uh, we know that. They have very sophisticated intelligence capabilities in Russia. And they're always, they're constantly attacking the United States and our allies. However, in the indictment, they leave out some really important 
people that they also went after. So the indictment plays like they're only going after the Democrats. When Bob Mueller and all his investigators and his lawyers know for a fact that they also targeted Republicans. Mm. Why is that not in the indictment? It makes the indictment look ridiculous. Okay. So the, the, I'm, not, I'm not saying they shouldn't be indicted. The, the Russians I'm just saying that were targeting the, both Democrats and Republicans. And Republicans. Yeah. And, and, and they know that. It's in our report. So why doesn't the why doesn't Department of Justice allow this to be declassified so the American public can see this? The other thing is that these people are never going to see justice, right? I mean, we don't have jurisdiction over these the, these people. They, they're not going to come to the U.S. And so they really won't actually be held accountable. Right. They're intelligence officers, so they're not going to be held accountable. Uh, it doesn't mean, though, that we shouldn't call out Russia for attacking our uh, conducting cyber attacks on our system. But and and we should. But the idea that this is somehow new and unique to the 2016 election, yes, the methodology used was unique. Yes, there, it was more widespread. It was clearly the apex of their efforts in hacking and, and all of that. But the Russians launched cyber attacks against U.S. interests, privately held concerns and government concerns on a daily basis, 24 hours a day, as a part of their intelligence gathering and um, cyber warfare efforts against us. We may be geopolitically aligned in some areas, but the fact is we are the number one and number two or roughly tied nuclear powers on the face of this planet. And our posture towards Russia is one of aggression and defense. That's it. So it has to be that there's more than what we're seeing on the table. And so I just caution, you know, if you care anything about this process, first of all, we should be praying not just for our president, but for President Putin, that he would be wise and that he would be open to conciliatory gestures from the president of the United States. And second of all, that we would be wise. We have to be wise when we're listening to the news about these things and understanding what's happening. We're supposed to be informed and uh, we're supposed to have knowledge about the topics that we're, we're listening and uh, absorbing information about and making opinions on. And so Russia is actually our enemy. Putin is, in all essences, although he's elected, he's a, somewhat of a dictator. And also, Putin was the head of the KGB for a couple of decades. So he's a spy himself. So the idea that Donald Trump was going to smack him around, you know, and just get rough with him at this meeting, at this public, you know, press conference that they had, it doesn't recognize the facts on the ground as they lay. We'll get into more of that. Uh, and news of the day with Christopher Harris of Unhyphenated America right after these messages. Stay right there. I'm Will Addison, and we are partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to save babies' lives through ultrasound. Here's how a nurse describes the power of an ultrasound. Last week, just one example of a mom who came in was very abortion-minded, and when she saw the picture of her baby on ultrasound and heard that beating heart, it was a defining moment that just broke her, and she said, I just can't allow this baby to be killed. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in the womb, she will choose life 80% of the time. 
I cannot tell you how many times a baby's life is saved through ultrasound. It's just an incredible tool. Underwrite a free ultrasound and help save a baby's life. Go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. All gifts are tax deductible. Your love can save a life. Up next, Carol Swain with two minutes to think about it. From poverty to professor, from GED to PhD, a bold Christian speaking truth to power. Here's Carol with today's two minutes. Hello, folks. I've talked to you before about how universities in the U.S. and other Western countries have taken a dramatic turn to the left in the last 50 years or so, with an overrepresentation of leftist professors steeped in cultural Marxism. As of January 2016, the Open Syllabus Project stated that Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto ranked among the three most frequently assigned texts at American universities. That's quite a commentary on the graduates uh, high-priced universities are producing. If you don't think idealistic college students sitting around reading Marx is affecting their worldview, then here's a headline from the Daily Mail. In London, students are leered to communism, says leading professor, as student tells BBC, Soviet Marxism failed because it didn't have the chance to develop. The article goes on to say that 18 to 24-year-olds see business and right-wing pundits as a danger to the world rather than communism. The big danger is that leftist professors have these kids captive, all born after the Cold War, seeing things through rose-colored glasses. How much more time did communism need to develop? 70 years of mass murder, oppression, starvation, and labor camps, not quite enough? 170 years would have just brought more of the same. We need to counter these lies with truth. And to do that, we too need to read the books that our children read. To learn more about Carol and the Carol Swain Foundation, visit carolmswain.net. And make sure you follow her on Facebook at Professor Carol M. Swain and on Twitter at Carol M. Swain. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Welcome back to the program. Stacy Washington, host of Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Go to urbanfamilytalk.com. Don't forget to register for our Marriage and Family Conference, which is August 17th and 18th. I'll be there along with Mickey Addison, Lonnie Poindexter, Abraham Hamilton III, and others. So you're going to want to be there and take part in the fantastic content we're going to be sharing with you. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome... Uh, Back for another visit with us here on the program, Executive Director of Unhyphenated America, Christopher Harris. Christopher, thanks for coming on today. Hey, Stacey. Thanks for having me again. It's great to speak to you. So I had a couple things I wanted to talk to you about, but before we get to those topics, can you tell me what your reaction is to the press conference between Presidents Putin and Trump, where everyone's losing their minds because President Trump didn't verbally beat down President Trump over election meddling and his uh, illegal actions in Crimea during the press conference that they had? Well, I have to admit, I was a little surprised that he did not uh, go a little bit harder in. But then, you know, I mean, that was the the knee-jerk reaction. I mean, since I've had a little bit of time to think about it, I I was considering that pretty much it's a no-win situation for that because you you already have uh, people who believe that there was collusion going on between them and if he had stood up and tried to condemn Putin right then and there, 
would the mainstream media really have believed him? Or would they say, I mean, they would have said, oh, he's just saying that to, uh, to try to, to, to dissuade people from thinking that he's a Putin puppet. Yeah, so they would have said day, it's fake. Uh, well, I was going to say, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, only Nixon could go to China, right? Or only uh, here was Reagan who was able to bring about uh, the end of the Cold War. And so I'm sitting back and watching the president and how he goes about doing things. And what I tell people is that there's no doubt when you watch this man that he is actually, and I say this in a non-negative, non-negative way, he's an apex predator in terms of, like, this guy operates at the top of the food chain. And so Putin and Trump, they don't collude. I mean, these, are, these guys are competitors on the food chain. And it's just asinine to think, <clears throat> excuse me, it's asinine to think that President Trump is somehow beholden to Vladimir Putin, which, you know, the left likes to project all the time, right? And Putin, man, I had to laugh. Putin put Hillary out there, didn't he? $400 million that Hillary got. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so, I mean, to sit there and say that, oh, I mean, uh, well, Trump's beholden, but yet in 2009 and 2010, it was Hillary and the uh, through the State Department, which obviously uh, President uh, Obama was aware of, that the deal was made to be able to sell the uranium. So the left is just projecting, Stacey. They are. I, I just wonder, so the same people who were really, really ticked off last week when the president opened up the NATO meetings at the photo op breakfast, he chose that opportunity to kind of lay out the ground rules for the meeting, which it turns out he really... He kind of threatened them and said, look, you won't have 55,000 troops in Germany protecting you from Russia if you don't start ponying up some more of the percentage that you said you'd give. Meet, meet your obligation. That worked. They raised $34 billion in new funding for NATO, which takes some of the pressure off of the United States. Certainly, that's a drop in the bucket to what we spend, but it, it's, it worked. But there was no need to negotiate in that fashion with his meeting with Putin, the first meeting. And people are calling it deferential. I don't see that. I I see it as two people assessing each other. And there's a completely different relationship that they're trying to build between the leaders of Russia and the United States and us and the people of NATO, where everybody at NATO is basically eating at a buffet that we're paying for. Well, you can't. I mean, it's one of those things where there's no way for... President Trump to bully Putin. I mean, like I said, we're talking about peers. We're talking about people who are are on fairly equal ground. Granted, our economy is much stronger than theirs. But at the end of the day, we have to take into account the fact that Russia still has a large nuclear stockpile. And so Putin is not somebody who can be slapped around. Okay, this is an old school Soviet uh, communist guy who would love to return to the days of Stalin and Lenin. And so you're not going to stand up there and bully him. But yet, here's what happened. It was a meeting where they got a chance to look at each other, and they size each other up. And, and I'll speak from a male standpoint. Those of us who are alpha males, we recognize other alpha males when we see each other. And what we don't do is that we don't start barking at each other because we know that if we go there, somebody's going to get seriously hurt. And so what you end up doing when it's alpha male versus alpha male, you're more prone to talk as opposed to, you know, just like, oh, we're going we're gonna to start barking at each other because somebody gets hurt. This is why the Cold War was a 50-plus year proxy war. Vietnam, Korea, uh, South Korea.
Central America, all these places, Afghanistan, these were all proxy wars because it was, and I hate to say this, but it was better for those little hot wars to take place in these foreign countries rather than a button getting pushed by the Russians and a button getting pushed by the United States, and then we have nuclear Armageddon. So, Christopher, let's 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 talk about the other big elephant in the room then. Besides the election meddling, which the Democrats are obsessed with because they need a smoking gun, they need some kind of crazy indictment to be leveled against Donald Trump before the midterms, or they are going to be unable to run on that. Like they, they want to be able to run on that. But the other issue is, and, and this is something that everyone is kind of bringing back up again, is the annexation of Crimea by the Russian state. During the Obama administration, which is now the fault for that is being pinned on President Trump, who clearly he's coming into the situation so late in the game. What's he supposed to do now that they have a seaport and a bunch of other military assets there and they've actually annexed it? Are we supposed to go to war over Crimea with Russia or should he begin to rebuild the diplomatic relationship and find a way to maybe get a concession for something else? Because that's in the past now. Well, I posted a little earlier, Stacey, that in order to have an intelligent conversation or discussion about uh, geopolitical, socioeconomic issues, you have to have a good knowledge of history and geography. And, and I've said this to people, it's like when you look at, uh, you, you look at Crimea, right, or let's take the Soviet Union, they had plenty of natural resources. I mean, the, the, the fact that they were almost broke and they couldn't feed themselves, that was because bad public policy, because socialism in and of itself sucks, right? Mm-hmm. But the only natural resource that the former Soviet Union did not have was direct access to the ocean. All their ports are actually up at higher latitudes that freeze over in the wintertime. So on the Atlantic side, they had to go out uh, through the, uh, the Baltic Sea. And on the, on the Pacific side, they were up there in the Kamchatka Peninsula. So, you know, they needed control of, the, of Crimea, the Crimean Peninsula, in the Black Sea. But here's the thing. For their ships, whether it's their Navy or their commerce ships, to get out into the Mediterranean, they have to pass through the Bosphorus Strait. Still, there's always that bottleneck that's controlled by NATO. So what people don't understand is, is the breadth and depth of what all that means. I mean, it wasn't just being able to have Crimea. Crimea. It was having access to Crimea gives them access to the Black Sea, Great gives them to the Black Sea, which makes it easier for them to get out into the Mediterranean, out to the agency. So, I mean, there's there's more to it than just them annexing uh, Crimea. And the same thing with the the Nazis. You know, why do they want to take Poland? Why do they want to take France? Because if you look at Germany, the North Sea is the only way they were able to get out to the Atlantic. The North, you know, I mean, so it's one of those things you have to look at it on a greater scale, and our, and our university systems are dumbing down our students, and they're not able to think about it like that. They're only saying, able to think in sound bites that the media tells them to think, basically. Yeah. Okay. So, and just in that little, you know, five minutes, the proof is in the pudding, y'all. If, if your kids are in a school system where they're only learning about character education and how to do math 18 different ways when the simple, you know, equation method works great for, for grade school then their time is being wasted because they need to understand that geography, as Christopher has just pointed out, plays a huge role in what nation states do uh, around their, their borders. And we don't have this problem because we have the East Coast and the West Coast. 
And our neighbors to the north receive almost all of their protection from us, right? We, we are the military that protects Canada, even though they have their own military. Really, they depend upon the United States to prevent anything from happening to them. And Mexico doesn't have to worry about anybody bombing them because they've got no, there's nothing worth, you know, fighting them for. Not their landmass, not their people, none, none of that. So it's really not an issue that we consider. But as you pointed out, he needed that 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 little bit of land there. He needed that access to the water so that he can have a better situation for his Navy. It's kind of amazing that on all of the news programs, Christopher, we've not heard one person point that out. So the idea that he's now going to give that up is pretty ridiculous, right? Oh, he's not going to give that up without a fight. You know, and, then and, you're and we're not willing to fight him over it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's, that's not a place that you're... Uh, if you read books like Machiavelli and The Prince and everything like that, you start realizing that if you're going to fight, you do your best to fight on your own terms. And that's not a fight that's worth it for us at this point in time. Not at all. And and I'm wondering when it would ever be, unless we were already at war with them and we just wanted to prove a point, you know, to hurt them militarily. There, so the reason he was able to do it, though, and this is the part that really, to me, stinks to high heaven, Christopher, is who, when do we ever see the liberals acknowledge that, Something that they felt was only a good, the election of Barack Obama, actually turned out to be bad for them in numerous different ways. But the number one chief point among that is that this is not a situation that can be remedied by an election. Just electing a Republican who's strong on foreign policy and foreign, foreign you know, offense, not defense, but offense on the part of the United States, does not fix the fact that he annexed Crimea. Obama did nothing about it. And now the, the annexing is done. It's not, it's not like he's still doing it. It's already annexed. It's over. We have to move on. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that ship has failed. And you're supposed... It's one of those things. It's like playing chess. You can't go back and undo a move that was already done. The time to block that was during the time of President Obama. But remember, we had a president for eight years who believed that America was the destabilizing force in the world, that America was the problem. And those who are followers of that leftist ideology, uh, the shame is they're sitting there complaining about America and, and uh, the relationship with President Trump and trying to say, oh, he's siding with Russia. But the reality is, if you are on the left in America, you're a socialist. You have more in common with Putin than you do with President Trump. And so I just think it's laughable that people would sit there and try to denigrate President Trump when the reality is leftist, regressive, socialist-minded Democrats have their ideological deadmate with Vladimir Putin. All right. So excellent, excellent analysis. I'm, I want to get to this. So we have a couple other things. So Donald Trump was last week in Europe. He, he met with NATO. Then he went over and he hobnobbed with the queen. Melania walked across the cobblestone courtyard in the yellow outfit and was actually the proxy queen from America. It was great. It was fantastic. We were all loving it. But two faces were noticeably absent from the proceedings when President Trump and Melania Trump met with the queen. Now, obviously, her husband, Prince Philip, was not there because he has retired from public life due to his elderly age and, and in, infirmities, etc. But who was missing from last week's uh, festivities in England? Uh, the two beta males <laughs> from the royal family. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the two males who are uh, next in line to, to hold the crown of the United Kingdom, uh, Prince Charles, uh, firstborn child of Queen Elizabeth, and uh, Prince Henry, excuse me, uh, Prince William, rather. Um, I'm sorry, I always get a confused Harry one. Anyway, 
Uh, well, Harry's William, the younger yeah. one. I yeah, think it's William. William. I'm sorry, the, the, yeah. the oldest son of Prince Charles. And here's the thing. Prince Charles is has made plenty of statements that prove he's a hardcore lefty, uh, that he's more of a Muslim sympathizer, he, he's a believer in global warming. I mean, he, he's a left-wing nut job, to say the least. But he's also a very weak guy. And, and it's funny, when you look at the strength and dignity that his mother shows, and then you look at Prince Charles, you're sitting there going, wow, I think that uh, the Queen Elizabeth is going to do her best to outlive her son so she never has to pass the crown on to him. The <laughs> only problem is that Prince William seems to take after his father. And, and so uh, that's, that's the problem. Again, Prince William's definitely going to sit on the crown, on the, on the throne, rather. And he doesn't seem to differ, to be that different from his father, just a slightly younger version, maybe not quite as hardcore leftist. But the fact that they chose not to show up uh, to meet with our head of state, I mean, on one hand, we can say we're insulted. The other hand, there's a reason why we separated from the United Kingdom in 1776. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's and it becomes more and more evident as time goes on. I'd like to point to an, another reason why they should have met with him. And it's really just for the historicity. So if I mean, obviously, as much as we'd like for the queen to continue on in, in perpetuity, she will eventually pass away and the crown will pass to her son. And for him to be able to say that, you know, so the succession of presidents that have come to visit England while he was an adult and was, you know, a part of that monarchy that he met with every president that was alive during his lifetime since he was an adult. That's something that's an accomplishment. And it continues the line of communication between our two countries, which is a value. It's 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 something that you want to be able to say. Now, Queen Elizabeth can say she's met with every president in the modern era because she's been alive for like 300 years. Well, you know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, she's, she's like, she's the one, she's not only the longest ruling monarch, but she has met with every world leader and she's never turned anybody down. Like everyone, even in the midst of some of the most tumultuous times, when they sought a meeting with her, she would have the meeting and it, it would be recorded for posterity with whatever the mode was at the time, since she's been around since before TV. And that's something of an accomplishment that, now that they've allowed Trump to come and go without meeting him, unless he visits again, they're going to they're not going to be able to say that. And I think it was really short sighted on their part. And like you said, really kind of pansy like um, we are so fortunate to have you come on and give your analysis. Thank you so much for what you do with Hy- Unhyphenated America. The website's unhyphenatedamerica.org. Christopher Harris, executive director. Thank you, friend, for coming on today. Always a pleasure. All right. Talk to you again soon. So we will be back with more. Um, I got to tell y'all, I have a ton for you today. I have a ton of information. So we're going to get back into it when we return from this break. Head over to American Family Radio's website, AFR.net. Find AFR on Facebook and hit the like button, you guys. Do it for me. Do it for America. We'll be back with more and we'll take your calls. 866-963-2037. Stay there. 
The Capital One commercial will forever be etched in the ear of the listener. What's in your wallet is a phrase that won't easily be forgotten. But this is not a Capital One plug. I want you to think about the people that are in your circle of influence. Who's in your circle is my new catchphrase. Simply because we don't think enough about the people or spirits that we allow into our personal space. Negativity is contagious and fatal. Misery loves company and it's fatal to your hopes and dreams. I think we all know someone who, no matter what good has happened, always has something negative to say. Ugh, that really bothers me. That bad attitude and that pessimistic spirit will only cause you to do the same. There's no room for doubt, especially if you're believing God to bring that vision to fruition. Now, this is not a license for you to be mean. It is, however, a license for you to assess who's in your circle and make the necessary adjustments. With a heart for the urban family, I'm today's urban woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com. It's time to call your senators. We need to tell them to put an end to the liberals' filibuster, switch to a majority vote, and defund Planned Parenthood. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121 or go to afaaction.net. Senators respond to constituent calls. So call 202-224-3121 and tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood. Your call will make a difference. Listen to Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on Urban Family Talk. She's sharp. I mean, did you hear that? Pointed. Remember that you're not only a Christian on Sunday. And insightful. Deception and lies have been accepted as the norm from the Democrats. But most of all, she's on the right. That scripture from the Bible that says the heart of the fool inclines to the left just kept popping into my mind. Stacy on the Right. Now heard weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. Here's what you missed on airing the Addisons. I asked them, I, I pack all their stuff, and then I asked them to pack their own individual bags. If yeah. you have anything dear to you that you want to bring, that's your responsibility. You, I'm not doing you. that. You've got to do that. It teaches responsibility. You should do that. And and so I said, I said, JD, get your backpack. And he said, What should I put in my backpack? I said, Put in your backpack what is significant to you, buddy. This is what you want to bring. Anything that you're gonna leave and you're gonna think, oh, I want that, you bring it. Can I tell you? So I was hanging up his backpack last night at the hotel. Can I tell you what was in his backpack? What was in his backpack? His Bible and the Nerf gun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they, they cling to their Bibles and their guns. Oh! You got to, hey, at an early age. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good, Will. That is hilarious. You don't know how funny that was. <laughs> Buddy, you don't know how funny. Airing the Addisons, 6 to 9 Central on Urban Family Talk. And so I'm hoping that he doesn't use the gun. While holding the Bible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, anyway, why not? Nehemiah. We hear anybody? This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Speaker Gingrich, I can fully understand the idea of launching uh, a, a trade battle with one or two countries around the world, the cruise ships still coming in, but does it make sense? to be in trade wars or battle skirmishes, whatever you want to call it, with so many countries in so many different parts of the world at the same time. Look, I think if you apply a new standard, which is, is this good for the United States economy, as opposed to is this good for some kind of global system, uh, you're going to be in a lot of conflict with a lot of countries. In the case of Paul Ryan, he ought to talk to his governor. It was Governor Walker who complained about the Canadians. And Governor Walker pointed out that the Canadians routinely 
do everything they can to hurt American dairy farmers. Uh, and that's where that whole fight started, was in a conversation between the president and Governor Walker. But the fact is, we are the largest economy in the world, the large, certainly the largest market in the world. Uh, we have enormous leverage. We have not used it very effectively. And that's going to make a lot of people very uncomfortable to have an aggressive president who really wants to change the terms of the agreement. <laughs> of course it is. Welcome back to the show. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Why am I giggling? Because it's true. That's Newt Gingrich. And he's talking about this um uncomfortability and so let's let's be real here okay um we've all been there you're at a car dealership and you know for 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 us women i'll just speak from my perspective as a woman we're at the car dealership and the negotiation for the vehicle is getting a little contentious and the two men start you know kind of start strong arming each other over that last thousand dollars you know you they're they're they seem like they can't meet and then your husband wants to just pop up and walk out and you're kind of like Oh, it's only a thousand bucks. Let's just get this thing done. And that's because women are more conciliatory. You know, these stereotypes are rooted in truth. And for the most part, men are much more aggressive and they're willing to go that extra mile to negotiate. Women get nervous about negotiations. I know for, for my part, I do. I just feel like, you know, this is this is going horribly and I just want everyone to be friends and promise to have coffee together. And so it gets really contentious when men get to negotiating about things. And so when you understand that dynamic, you can see where there was a point uh, before last week's NATO meeting where Donald Trump, uh, probably many points, but let's just take one, one singular point in time where Donald Trump is sitting preparing for the meeting with NATO. And he's a businessman and he's going over these numbers. And so he's sitting with cabinet officials and people who know all of the history of NATO, and they're sitting there with the numbers and they're looking and they see that the United States is not just carrying NATO. We basically are NATO. And he looks at the assets, the resources, the not just the physical costs, but the costs in lives lost for our soldiers. Because we often pay attention to when there's a major terror attack or when one of our aircraft goes down, when, when someone in one of the Middle Eastern countries where we're operating shoots down one of our helicopters or when we have a near miss, two F-16s and you know one of their fighters and they, they have a near miss or someone locks on. This happens all day, every day. When I was in Saudi Arabia on my tour of duty and I was working on the flight line, we would sit there with the radio and listen to our pilots talking to each other and they would be locked onto in the no-fly zone constantly. I mean, it was just like every day. And they would land and, you know, I would go into the flight room. You're sitting there and you're just waiting to hear like anything you can hear. And they'd be talking about how, you know, getting locked onto when you're flying an F-16 or an F-15 means they've acquired a target and all they have to do is push the button and you're gone. They, in the movies, they always show people, you know, doing fancy maneuvers and evading rockets, but... That's not as often in real life that they're able to effectively outmaneuver a, you know, once they've been locked onto a surface to air missile. So we would be sitting there listening to that. And it was real. These were guys we knew. These are guys. Obviously, they were officers. I was enlisted. 
Uh, it's not like we had dinner together every night, but they were guys I knew who were married, who had children at home. They were on a 94 day tour, just like I was. They were looking forward to getting on that aircraft and taking a 24 hour journey back to the United States, just like I was. We wanted to go home. We, we were there to do a job. We were happy to be there and do our jobs, but we didn't want anybody lost. We didn't want any one of our aircraft to go up, get locked onto and be downed because it not only meant a military confrontation, but it could mean war. Actual full-blown war, which most of us just have no idea what that really means. Also, the number of troops who are lost to everyday incidents, car accidents, um, you know, small terror attacks that don't make major international news. And they, sometimes we have people get murdered overseas. I mean, these, these countries are not like utopias where our troops go and they're completely insulated and nothing bad can happen to them until they get back stateside. So there's a huge cost an everyday loss of assets and lives that is a part of the cost of us doing business as the world's chief provider of military protection. So you got Donald Trump looking at these situations, assessing them, and he's counting the cost. Is it worth it? This is how many soldiers and troops and airmen and Navy Corps. Oh, this, this is the number of bodies we lost last year. And this is the number we lost the year before that. This is the number of troops we have in Germany, in, in Great Britain. This is the number of troops we have on this peninsula. This is the number of troops we have on that island. This is the number of billions of dollars per month it costs to operate these military bases. This is the number of aircraft we need to order and have ready and functionally operational and have our troops trained up on with new guidance systems and updated military hardware. This is the number of aircraft we need to purchase to keep the fleet up to date to maintain our current military presence around the world. Sit down and have that conversation. Think about the bodies that are coming home draped in flags in the back of those C-130s. Think about the young wives and mothers and parents who are meeting those caskets at the airports around this country. Think about the cost. Think about the actual dollars that are coming out of people's paychecks and going to pay for our military and our presence on every continent on the face of this globe. Then see if you don't show up at the breakfast a little salty and ready to change the paradigm. That's what we're talking about here. And, and it's so immature to have the conversation based on what it feels like. You know, there have been times where I've told my husband, I think you should go into that. You know, we're, we're, we're negotiating for something for our family. I think you should just go ahead on in there. I'm going to stay back because I don't want to be in the contentious meeting. Or I agree, we're going in together. I'm not saying anything because all I'm going to want to do is diffuse the situation, which doesn't help my husband's negotiating position. He knows what number he wants to pay. I've got to sit there until he gets to that number or we got to get up and walk out and go buy whatever it is from somewhere else. And every time I've left it to him to do that because that's his forte, it's worked out beautifully. Now, Obviously, the United States is not married to Donald Trump, but he is the commander in chief. And when he goes into these NATO situations to make these deals to call people on the carpet to tell them, you know, you need to put some of your bodies on the line, some of your assets. You need to take over more responsibility for defending your own country. We've held your hand and your wallet and your purse and all of your bags and all of your kids and all of your stuff for too long. It's time for you to start taking some responsibility for yourself. It's time to kick the training wheels off and take your first ride down the road with just two wheels 
It's time to start riding the bike on your own. We're tired of pushing you. That conversation needed to be had. And so, you know, we're really blessed that we don't have so many people um, who are doing all of this whining and complaining and talking about how rude Donald Trump was last week. Thank God they weren't in the meeting, too, because they would have totally derailed it and messed it up. And the president wouldn't have been able to get the results that he got, which I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts that President Trump is mildly satisfied with that result, but he feels he could have gotten even more and he would only be satisfied until everyone is paying what they've agreed to pay and the United States is back to paying 2% instead of paying, you know, almost everything. And this is what we have to understand. And so I I believe, I believe listeners in this audience do understand that. I want to be clear. I I believe you understand that, but I, I think we're surrounded by a lot of other people who don't understand that people who pay full price for cars, who don't negotiate for houses, people who maybe they don't even own a house, they're just renters, people who don't understand what it's like to look at your numbers, come up with what you're willing to pay, what, you're, what, what costs you're willing to, to undergo, and then to go into a space and say, this is, this is who I am, this is what I'm willing to put up, and then stick with it. And that has to be the position of the commander-in-chief of the United States. We had eight years of someone who was willing to walk into every situation and ask, what do you want? And then basically say, yeah, okay. Every situation, the Iran deal, the Paris climate agreement, everything he negotiated, they were all bad deals. And so, you know, part of the the problem that we have is that we have so many people who are so ticked off at Donald Trump and they're blaming him for a whole bunch of stuff like Obamacare. There's another deal that did just horrible deal, horrible, horrible deal. And... Donald Trump's got to come in and take these situations and he's got to try to make something out of these these deals. He's got to take a pig's ear and make a purse out of it. Impossible. That's why he pulled out of a lot of the. That's why he's willing to actually just say North American free trade agreement. We just might have to go back to the drawing board on that one, y'all. I mean, Paris Climate Accords, not a real treaty. Don't want to waste my time working on that. We have so many bad deals for me to sift through and, you know, get, get the, the good from the bad and try to make a real deal out of. I don't even have time to deal with that stuff. That's not even real stuff. That's just wealth redistribution. I'm not even going to get in on that. And, you know, the liberals are just raging mad about the fact that he refuses to acknowledge climate change as a real thing. You know, when it's time to talk about faux stuff like climate change, when all of your other deals are rock solid and killing it, and they're laid out before you, and you've gotten everything to a place where everybody's at least meeting and exceeding, and then you can move on. But not when every deal is bad. I mean, you, if you look at all of the deals that the United States is, is engaged in, they say Donald Trump shouldn't be engaging in all these horrible wars, all these horrible turf wars. He's, he's got these tariffs going over here. He's got them. The reason why he can't just do one deal at a time is because all of the deals are bad. And as soon as he starts messing with the deal over here, the people over there are like, well, we ain't going to do that. And he's like, yeah, actually, you are. You're going to do that, too. All of you are going to stop raking us over the coals on these deals. And that is what he's working on. If anything, you would think because you would think that the liberals would just be like, OK, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and give him that because we do need to make money here in this country. We do need to make America have prosperity because at the very minimum, we can all participate in America's prosperity. We can all participate in a booming economy, liberal, conservative, you know, moderate, politically agnostic. Even the commies can get down on some good GDP, 4%. Like just, you're just not able to escape participating in that economy. 
but they can't. They cannot. So you've got that going on. And then the other point I want to make, and I think this is something that they also, they, they're so close to the situation, the media and the liberals don't understand that it's pretty obvious to see that if, if Donald Trump had Democrats in this country who were opposing him on, you know, let's say his immigration policy and a couple of other things, but on foreign policy, the Democrats were lock solid and were basically saying, look, he's not our guy, but we support the Constitution of the United States. We support an American hegemony. We support American dominance because we make the best decisions. Whether we agree all the time is, is immaterial. America should be you know, in the forefront with a seat at the table at doing leadership. That's what we believe. If the president had that kind of wind at his back where he knew he was supported by all Americans and both political parties on foreign policy, but maybe at home, you know, lots of turmoil, lots of indecision on, on immigration, et cetera, et cetera, then he could be even more direct with other world leaders and nuclear powers like Putin. But the president doesn't have the Democrats supporting his presidency on the foreign policy front. Notice I'm being very specific here. Democrats don't have to support Donald Trump to support American hegemony and strength overseas on the part of America. If he had that, if they weren't trying to unseat him on trumped up charges about collusion, then he could deal with Russia differently. But as it is, he has to play his cards very carefully because he's in the right. He's doing what's right for America, but he has to do so in a way that respects the lay of the land back at home where he's in danger land constantly because Democrats don't want to impeach Donald Trump because he's done something wrong or because he's actually colluded or because he's really an evil guy. They want to get rid of him because he stands at the gate as the only thing separating America from being completely obliterated by no borders and their goals of a progressive agenda that goes forward into in perpetuity with no obstacle, which will result in the splitting of this country, obviously. I mean, it, it will result in certain parts of this country basically saying we're walled off from this. We're not we're not a part of this. And Americans don't even no, people aren't even considering that. Too busy going to Home Goods and buying all the cute stuff. I know. I was in there this weekend, too. So when we get back, we're going to listen to the translator translating for President Putin of Russia, where he stands up at the podium right next to Donald Trump, literally an arm's reach away from the president of the United States, and says, there was no so-called election interference. We have never interfered, and we will never interfere with American elections. Yes, that KGB agent stood there and said that. That's who we're dealing with here. But everybody over here wants to talk like, you know, transgender stuff. It's time to get serious. It's time to understand why these things are happening, to be informed and to be wise so that we can understand the times. And so we know how to pray, clearly. All right, so yeah, that's hour one. We'll be back with hour two right after these messages. Keep it here. (laughs) 